Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesomeo.com NFL strategy show. It's the showdown edition, but it's not. It should be, but it's not because it's a Monday night doubleheader. And let me tell you something. If this mess of an NFL season has taught us anything, it's that we need more Monday night doubleheaders. Give me more Wednesday afternoon pigskin, some Tuesday night. I'm all for it. Dave Lochran with you once again. Joining me, Matthew Gajeski, Matt underscore Gajeski on Twitter. You can follow me at Laffy underscore D. Matt, we got Pittsburgh. We got Washington. We got San Fran. We got Buffalo. We're in for a good one tonight, man. Another doubleheader. Look, there's a silver lining to everything, and I think we found it. Yeah, man, I like the doubleheaders. As much as I like Showdown 2, we still get the feel of it being a short slate. We really have to dig into the weeds, but there's just more options and you're playing a full roster. So it's not the same sort of roster construction. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It reminds me of, you know, Thanksgiving a little bit. Yeah, it kind of does. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the two-game slates. I thoroughly enjoy them. Matter of fact, I like them more than I like um, showdowns. But I like the two-game slates when you get them on the Monday nights, where you can just go straight from one game into another. I know one of them starts early, 5 p.m. Eastern time. But it just, you know... It gets me it gets me excited to be able to look at another another week or another day where you've got a millie maker. Like, can you think about how far this industry has come though? Like, before you would never have seen prize pools even close to this with impromptu games, crazy scheduling. Now you've got a million dollars going the first place on a Monday night. It's amazing. Yeah, man. The industry has come so far, and it's crazy we can get these prize pools up top. I mean, didn't we have multiple Millie Makers just yesterday? I believe there was one at like the 555 level, the classic normal Millie Maker. So sometimes they're even putting out like two Millie Makers a week. I, I mean, on the same day, like on the main slate. It's nuts. They've been doing it consistently lately. FanDuel's giving out 200K to first tonight. So just across the board, a lot of big stuff going on. And that's why we're here to talk about it. Hit that thumbs up if you're just walking in the door. And guys, if you like what we do here and you want to help support us, you think somewhere along the way, maybe we helped you out. We refined your process, your strategy, the way you look at it. Or maybe we helped you even win a little bit of money. It all comes down to you. You put the lineups in. You make the decisions you click submit and you enter the contest. But if you think that maybe we had an impression along you or an impact along the way, hit that subscribe button. Help us get to the 50K mark so we can all be happy. And of course, when you subscribe, we show up more on your recommended feed, on your on your homepage, all of that stuff. You'll always know that Awesomeo is there going live. If you like it, hit subscribe and we start now. All right, Matt, two games to talk about. We'll start with Washington at Pittsburgh. This one, of course, was rescheduled due to the Baltimore-Pittsburgh nonsense that had them delayed and postponed multiple times. So you've got Washington on the road uh, at Heinz Field, 5 p.m. Eastern time. They're six-and-a-half-point dogs. Now, it opened at seven-and-a-half. They're six-and-a-half-point dogs now. Um, and the total is 43-and-a-half points. I will say it's interesting to see that this moved through seven down to six-and-a-half, um, which is you know worth pointing out. And the Washington football team has actually been playing respectful football lately. I'm not saying this is a juggernaut or a world beater by any stretch, but they smoked Dallas. They beat Cincinnati. Okay, big deal, right? They lost to uh, the, the, 
the Lions by three. They lost to the Giants by three. And then prior to that, or I'm sorry, I was looking at uh, Alex Smith. Prior to that, uh, you had just a mess of Kyle Allen and Dwayne Haskins. But let's start it off with Washington, the passing game. From Alex Smith to Terry McLaurin, who is a bona fide number one. And after seeing last week, a num- new number of weeks this season, where the Steelers are a very good defense. But they've given up some big plays. Look at Marquise Brown. Look at some big runs earlier in the year. They have given up some chunk yardage. Is Terry McLaurin in a spot where we need to be targeting him, even against a very good defense? Yeah, his target volume is just absolutely absurd. And when we talk about ownership today, just think about this in the context of a two-game slate. I'm looking at our ownership projections right now, and Terry McLaurin's not even in the top five, but he's still 41% owned. So it's just a little bit different. 41% ownership isn't going to be crazy today. But I mean, you just want to talk about an alpha receiver receiving just absurd volume in his offense. I know they're not the most dynamic offense in the NFL, but aside from Diggs on the slate and maybe uh, Deontay Johnson, I don't think anyone has better volume than Terry McLaurin. And if we get him at lowered ownership, I'll take his 27.5% target share all day. You were talking about just the Washington team overall. It's funny, they're playing the Steelers. They remind me of the Steelers last year when you could tell it was a really good Steelers team, but obviously they had the quarterback struggles. Washington is a very good defense. They have a you know a decent offensive line up front, a great back in Antonio Gibson and McLaurin. I think the quarterback holds them back a lot, honestly. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. By the way, John, congratulations, said he won the $15 single entry on Sunday Night Football. That is awesome, and we're happy to hear that. Glad to have all of you guys with us as well. Hopefully you guys had a decent Sunday. Um, DFS-wise, wasn't my best, but had some, for DraftKings best ball, uh, looking like I'm going to gonna gonna take some some good positioning heading into week 14 Matt. so and and a bunch of dynasty leagues getting into the playoffs there as well so we'll take the good with the bad all the time is there anyone outside of terry mclaurin that you actually have any interest in for washington so camp sims is running as their wide receiver too he's essentially not being targeted i was hoping steven sims i mean this is going to be confusing but i hope steven sims would work his way into a larger role as he came off of injured reserve It hasn't happened yet, but I still think it could happen, which makes these two really hard to get to. And then there's always Logan Thomas. I feel like we talk about Logan Thomas every single week to some degree because he's actually seeing very consistent target volume. It's just coming from the likes of Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins on a week-to-week basis, which doesn't give you a ton of upside. But again, we're talking a terrible position with only four, maybe five viable tight ends on the entire slate. So I think Logan Thomas has to be in consideration because of that. Yeah, the... With only four teams, two games on the slate, we're going to have to make some exceptions. We're going to have to, you know, make some make some justifications that we naturally wouldn't do. And quite frankly, Matt, once you get into showdowns, once you get into these two game slates, I don't think there's any denying that you're going to see instances where like no name players that on a regular size slate you would never even consider have to be in consideration here. And I figure at the end of this show, we'll just do our top leverage plays, right? They don't even need to necessarily be value plays, but guys that can hopefully give you some leverage over the field and some larger field tournaments on a day where many people are picking from the exact same. Well, we're all picking from the same players, but many of us are picking the exact same players and plugging them into lineups. Antonio Gibson's been awesome this year. You look at the, the amount of touchdowns this man has scored on the ground, I still think if it's the same as last week, only Dalvin Cook has more rushing touchdowns than him. He scored three, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, six over his last three games, which is ridiculous. And now he's scored in every game going back to week seven and all but two games going back to week two. He's He's been wildly efficient in, in goal-to-go situations in the red zone. And now you've got him at 6,500, Matt, but I think it's fair to say that this is going to be the toughest matchup Antonio Gibson has had in quite some time. When you look at the schedule, it is no no cakewalk whatsoever when he's faced the Giants, Dallas, and I respect the Giants, but Giants, Detroit, Cincinnati, Dallas. So that's some easy or at least somewhat easy matchups recently. Yeah, Gibson's been a tricky evaluation throughout the year because the volume has been middling. He's really gotten there through efficiency, and you mentioned the touchdown volume. That's been phenomenal for him. But in recent weeks, the touch count has started to climb. So I think there's still some optimism, even in a tough matchup. Now, maybe he doesn't have to live through quite as much efficiency. Just looking at the last four games, he goes from nine touches, then back-to-back games with 17, 
and then 25 in his most recent contest. McKissick is still playing a lot of snaps. Just last week, McKissick 28 snaps, Antonio Gibson 45, but the touch counts have skewed heavily in Gibson's favor, and he's active in the pass game. He has 10 targets combined in his last three games, and that has also been on the increase. So I think presuming negative games for a tough matchup, on the two-game slate, Antonio Gibson still should be a consideration given his increase in volume. So the whole thing with J.D. McKissick is game script, he is heavily dependent on on a negative game script, Matt. I, I don't think there's any denying that right now, right? Like they faced Dallas, they smoked him. And I remember on Thanksgiving Day saying, Antonio Gibson is undoubtedly the guy if this game is a neutral or favorable game script for Washington. Uh, the same thing applied to Cincinnati. Same thing applied to, to a lot of these games. But, you know, you look at the last two games they lost, 15 and 14 targets, 29 combined. They lost two games in a row. Then you look at the two games following that that they won, Matt, uh, and they won by a margin of a total margin or a total score of 61 to 25. So that's absurd on its face right there. What, 35-point uh, margin of victory in those two games? He had two and four, six total targets. If they fall behind early, is J.D. McKissick going to come into play as someone that no one's thinking about because recency bias is going to keep them solely and firmly on Antonio Gibson? I got to ask all the questions here. We only have two games. That's a really good question, man. I'm glad you asked it because I do think J.D. McKissick is in play. He's someone that you brought up a lot when we talk about negative game script for these teams. And you've also brought up the fact that the NFL has just been crazy this year. There have been games that... Yeah, they haven't gone according to plan. And McKissick still played 28 snaps. Antonio Gibson nearly doubled him at 45, but you mentioned the positive game script. It very well could have just been Washington's playing from ahead and they prefer Antonio Gibson in those situations. We've seen Jaden McKissick handle target counts of like 15 in certain games. I think he is still their preferred pass catching back in negative game script scenarios. That puts him in play for me. Do you think it's it's more of a game script thing for Washington? I still think McKissick is a role. I, I still think he has a role. There's no doubt. What I'm saying is that if it's an if it does flip on its head and becomes a negative game script, then JD McKissick's role could be of that of someone who is in a tournament winning lineup. And yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, you know what I mean because we've seen the volume there in prior games, particularly with Alex Smith at the helm. So what you know, people are going to watch this to clarify. I am saying that JD McKissick could be a viable option, even if this game is close. But Antonio Gibson is clearly the guy. But if it goes the opposite direction, and it's anything like what we've seen, we can only go on, we can only work on past the data. And what we've seen in the past, uh, in order to try and predict what's going to happen in the future, is that J.D. McKissick has gotten a lot of opportunities when they fall behind. And Alex Smith has not been afraid to use him this season in those situations. So... Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much where I'm at on him. And uh, I think if you wanted to get him into some lineups, I'm fine with it. But let me ask you this. Would you be opposed to, because I think I am opposed to this, going Antonio Gibson and McKissick in the same lineup? I would be too. I think it's only viable in things like the Millie Maker, where the only reason you would do it is differentiation. You're taking on a ton of opportunity costs in that scenario. Okay. So we talked about Terry McLaurin. He's uh, And by the way, guys, if you wanted to look at ownership projections at awesomeo.com, if you're a sub, these, uh, these projections are on the main slate, ownership projections. I know it, it can be difficult to find with all these crazy slates without any actual true title to them. Uh, this is on the main slate. And I, I mentioned that, Matt, because McLaurin right now is getting about 42% ownership in the same neighborhood as like five or six other players. And then, you know, guys like Diggs and, and Deontay Johnson are – are ahead of the pack, really just specifically digs. Then you have about eight or nine guys all within that 10% range between 40 and 50. Is is Terry McLaurin's ownership a factor? And really, how much is ownership a factor to you today at all on a two-gamer? I think ownership is more of a factor with players like Diggs, who's coming in near 70%. That's a crazy number. Yeah, if Diggs busts, a large majority of the field has him. So you're, you're just victory lapping, I, I guess, the 70% that project to have him. With McLaurin, he's not as substantially owned and it's probably appropriate for him. If you personally believe that you're getting some leverage with McLaurin and he should be heavier as far as ownership than that, I think you play him. I'm completely fine with McLaurin. I think his ownership is probably appropriate given the context of the slate. 
Congrats, Nate. Said he took down his first big DraftKings tournament yesterday. Well, that's awesome. We're going to break all of these big tournaments down after this show. 11 Eastern, Adam Scher, Josh Ingham, and myself. We do it every single Monday. It's the Monday morning quarterback show. Taking a look at fantasy uh, uh, lineup study at Fantasy Cruncher. Looking at all of the exposures. Everything that went right went wrong. We'll congratulate each other. We'll celebrate and we'll commiserate depending on how things went. Do you have anything else at all from Washington, Matt? I think we hit on everything. The only other thing I guess we should talk about maybe is Alex Smith because he's just going to be super contrarian. I don't think he's a very good player whatsoever, but in the event, you know, all of the other quarterbacks bust and Alex Smith has even a decent game, he's just dirt cheap. Potentially that's an avenue for success if you're trying to jam in all of the studs. All right, so one thing we know is, and yes, Nate, I'm glad you got talked out of playing Miles Sanders. There was no reason to play him on the main slate yesterday. Uh, Afternoon slate, sure. Maybe like showdown slate, sure. But uh, there were there were drives where Jordan Howard started it and Miles Sanders never came out, like never was even on the field. Explain that one. You can't because it's inexplicable. Pittsburgh has played down to opponents this year. There's no doubt about that. Like we've seen this time in and time out. Baltimore covered uh, on Wednesday with like half of their team on the COVID-19 reserve list. Uh, not only did Dallas cover several weeks back when they were 14-point dogs, but they almost won that game. It took a come-from-behind, pass-heavy approach or effort from Ben Roethlisberger to get them where they needed to go. Uh, I, I got to say, this is one of those teams that against a squad like Washington that's actually playing respectable enough football to hang in there with better teams. Th- this is one of those games where, I, again, I wouldn't be surprised to see it stay remotely competitive And once again, I'll go back to the fact that this line moved from seven and a half to six and a half. And well, that's significant. So here we have it, Matt, Ben Roethlisberger, Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool. There are a lot of good, talented receivers that can shoulder a heavy workload from week to week. The difficult part is figuring out which one of them it's going to be. Yeah, it's been difficult. I think we can look to Deontay Johnson's sample when he's healthy. If you just look at his raw target share over the course of the season, I think it's a little bit misleading. He's missed a ton of in-game time. You know, he's played in games, but he's left. He had a concussion at a point, a number of other nagging injuries he's dealt with all year. That puts him at a 22.9% target share. But if you just look at healthy games, he has double-digit targets in every game, and he has at least 10 targets in each of his last four games, which puts him clearly as the wide receiver one to me. And I'm a little bit confused by DraftKings pricing. 6300 for Johnson is only 200 more than Claypool and only 600 more than Juju Smith-Schuster. And I just don't see it like that. Then I take a look at his ownership. He is the second most owned wide receiver on the slate, but it's just 51%. That's only 10% more than McLaurin, who I th- is sitting at wide receiver six or seven, just reading the list. That's all very close and bunched up for me. And I'll take Deontay Johnson with those numbers. Oh, let me back up for one second. If you mention this, feel free to, to tell me and then we'll, we'll, we'll move back on. But uh, I'm trying to juggle the chat here and, and everything else. Did, did we mention the absence of, of Bud Dupree here uh, after that big injury last week that's going to sideline him for the season? Because I think this does have a legitimate impact on the quality of this Pittsburgh defense. I mean, this guy is a huge uh, difference maker. Does that inf- influence anything you're looking at today? I think it's just a boost overall for the Washington offense. Bud Dupree is a phenomenal pass rusher. I know they still have Watt on the other side, but Bud Dupree is obviously a former first-round pick, big part of what they do. And their defense has lost a couple guys in recent weeks. They're down Devin Bush, too, another former first-round pick, top 10 yep. pick for them at linebacker. So Steven Nelson's also doubtful for this game. He's one of their corners. This Pittsburgh defense might be a little weakened, and potentially that's a reason to like Washington. I know the line has moved in their favor. Could be injuries. I also think Pittsburgh playing on a short week has something to do with that, too. Definitely. Yeah, I think so, too. Now, again, this is really the same thing as a team playing on Sunday and then playing Thursday, so it does happen, right? Like yeah. It's the same difference in, in days. But Pittsburgh, they, dude, their schedule has been all over the place. I mean, they've got they've been shit on when it comes to to scheduling and having to, to, to read – align how games are going to be played it's it's crazy but uh back to pittsburgh deontay johnson i know uh had some drops last week certainly didn't help but now you look at his targets matt in the games that he's finished this season i think in every game he's finished this season 
he has double digit targets. Maybe I'm wrong. I can't remember if he finished the Baltimore game. I don't think he did, but uh, week 12, 13, week 11, 16, 10, he had 11 targets. Week nine, he had 10. Uh, week seven, he had 15. He had 13 in week two, 10 in week one. Deontay Johnson is just getting peppered with targets. And the crazy thing, let's talk about this for a little bit, is that despite being ahead in games, despite smoking Jacksonville, uh, despite crushing the Bengals' souls, uh, they are throwing the football a lot. Check this out. Roethlisberger's last four games, 42, 46, 46, 51 pass attempts against Baltimore, 32 before that, but then 49 before that. He's thrown 42-plus times in all but one of his last six games. That means that maybe we don't have to worry too much about which one of Juju, Johnson, and Claypool is going to get all the targets because there's been enough to go around. And it's not hard to take two of them if you want to stack the Pittsburgh offense, which I think is you know, a pretty good idea given how often they're throwing, and you mentioned it. Roethlisberger himself is middling as far as price, and then you have all three of these receivers bunched up in this sort of middle pricing tier with Johnson being the most expensive at just 6300 But even last week, I mean, Claypool and Smith-Schuster, they both had nine targets. That was the fewest among the big four, but that's still nine targets. Like nine targets, you'll take that all day. Yeah, so which one of these guys, if you're, you talked about Johnson, but how do you prioritize the three of these guys just given that on any given day, one of them could erupt? And is there really any way to, to, to differentiate there? Yeah, so you you have to know going in that any one of them could erupt on yeah. any given day. And if you pick wrong, that it happens. You just pick wrong happen. that day. Yeah. But I do prefer Johnson. I think his target share is the best. And then between Claypool and Smith-Schuster, I'll take Claypool just because of the way he's being used. Smith-Schuster is essentially functioning as a possession receiver around the line of scrimmage with a very low A dot, giving him a little bit less upside than Claypool, in my opinion. That I would So I would go Johnson, Claypool, Smith-Schuster for me, but that's not to say Smith-Schuster can't pop up for a big game. He absolutely can, and he absolutely has. You want to hear something crazy? I'd love to. Okay. Weeks 9 through 12, not including week 13 because Pittsburgh hasn't played yet. Weeks 9 through 12, Deontay Johnson, in the, among the entire league, is first in targets. Chase Claypool is fifth in targets. And Juju Smith-Schuster is seventh in targets. First, fifth, and seventh in targets on the same team. One, two, three on the same team over the past four weeks. That is preposterous, Matt. Laffy, do you have where Ebron is on that list? I, it's got- funny you it's it's funny you mentioned that because that fella's been getting some opportunities too. Ebron is thirty second, which is even more remarkable. Yeah, playing the tight end position among tight end. If you isolated tight ends, I imagine that's got to be like top at least top ten, if not like approaching top five. Is that crazy though? I mean, th- that is nuts. These three guys on the same team are all top seven in targets over a month span. It is ridiculous. It. And I mean, Ebron too had 11 targets. Ebron's last fourth. Fourth among tight ends? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think you have to roster at least one of these guys, if not two. And Ebron, I mean, he fills that terrible position of tight end. And honestly, is there someone else on the slate today that you would rather have over Ebron? I don't think it's particularly close. Nope. I don't think so either. Uh, and I'm, he's playing I'm, all the snaps I'm, now. Yep. I'm fine with any of these guys. But really, I'm just trying to illustrate how important it is to look at this. Like, if you zoom out on this team, you see, like, it, you know, if you're if you're looking at Deontay Johnson or Juju or or uh, Claypool under a microscope, you're like, hey, that looks good. But what about the other guys? When you zoom out, you're like, oh wait, they're all getting a ton of opportunities. And to me, that just simply can't be overlooked. And you said it, Matt. Just play two of them. I, why not? They're they're leading the league in targets as a team. It's nuts. 49 for Johnson over the last four games. Uh, Chase Claypool has 38 and Juju has 34. It's just you're, there's there's no way around that. It's it's insane. What do you think about the run game? So James Conner's not gonna play, and we have a small sample of seeing the backfield without Connor. It happened last week. We got Benny Snell essentially as the lead ball carrier with Anthony McFarland playing a change of pace role. Their prices are not reflective of Benny Snell being a bell cow back. He is just 5.4 K. I think when they priced the slate, they assumed James Connor was going to play and he is 
not expected to. Last week, Snell handled 20 touches. He had 16 carries and four targets. He was fairly inefficient as a rusher, only 60 yards on those 16 carries, but he did add 33 as a receiver, which isn't typically a part of his game. I was kind of surprised, but hey, bonus nonetheless. McFarland only touched the ball four times. Snell played on 51 snaps to McFarland's 14. So it seems this this is fairly clearly swung in Benny Snell's favor. Do you like Benny Snell this week? Yeah, I think he's like a lock in cash just because of the opportunity and price. I think you can reasonably project him for the same, if not more opportunities than an Antonio Gibson. And they're playing as a home favorite. Okay. Yeah, 16 carries last game. Man, man, they they ran a decent amount of plays. Roethlisberger threw 52 times. Benny Snell had 16 attempts. Um, it's there, there, there's just, there's a lot to like here across the board. Are you willing to, because it's a two game slate, we need to talk about this. Are you willing to roster like Deontay Johnson and Benny Snell without big Ben? Like how with Benny Snell's price point being this cheap, it's going to make for some difficult decisions. If he was 6,500, you'd say, all right, well, he's a little bit expensive. I don't need to work him in there. Like, how do you, how do you come to terms with really liking some of these pass catchers, from Ebron to Claypool to Juju and, of course, Deontay Johnson, and also liking Benny Snell. Yeah, on a two-game slate, you will take on negative correlation. It is inevitable. And you're talking about maybe rostering Johnson and Snell. Like, one conceivable way you do this, you know, you have Josh Allen stacked with Diggs and me. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Maybe a Gabriel Davis near the, he's like 4.3K, so he's not quite near the minimum price, but maybe that's your double stack. And then from Pittsburgh, you just have the other team with a high implied total. So you get the running back and the receiver, and that's just how it shakes out. I'm fine with that negative correlation. Okay. Anything else here for uh, Pittsburgh? I think we hit everything. I'm not really interested in McFarland, but we hit all of the pass catchers. Roethlisberger, of course, is in play because of the pass rate. I think we're on it. You like the Steelers defense? Because to me, that price point is absurd. I do not like paying that, no. That's a lot. I mean, that is a lot of money. What about Washington defense, 2,500? Absolutely. They, and plus, they're going – even if Pittsburgh is winning the game, we like defenses that are going to go against a lot of passing volume. And Pittsburgh seems to be taking a pass-first approach even when playing from ahead. So I'm not even really concerned that Washington gets down significantly in this game. And then they rush the passer well. I'm with you. Um, Anthony McFarland, there's some chatter and chat about him. I'll just throw the name out there to make sure we don't, uh, on before, just to make sure we don't leave anyone out. What do they say about McFarland? What is, what do we like about him? He played 15 snaps. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, Matt, we got to talk about everybody here. It's a two game slate. Once in a while, we'll find a gem. He could, Um, he could be like a, I don't want to. I was going to give an Eagles example, but so I won't do it because I know it's this sort of. No, please! I I'm a I'm a masochist. I like to torture. (laughs) He could. You remember the Miles Sanders week where he actually handled good opportunity and Corey Clement and Boston Scott scored. Like that's very much. Yeah, that's very much in McFarland's range of outcomes. If he's on the field, he could score. By the way, you guys laughed at me for Cam Akers, not you. The chat. That was a great call. Twenty-one carries, man. Thanks. I'm happy. I'm just happy to see Sean McVay giving him the rock. Like, doesn't that make you happy to know that someone in Cam Akers who, while he wasn't particularly efficient yesterday, isn't it nice to see that that guy's finally getting some opportunity? Feels good. Yeah, I like it. It's uh, 13 weeks too too late for my season long team, but, (laughs) you know, just being happy for the prospect. Yeah, it's fun (laughs) to see him. For sure. Um, Hey, guys, if you haven't signed up at Awesome yet, our showdown package, well, actually, it's not even a showdown package. It's our Awesome Express NFL package is $3.95 a week, and it includes all of the showdown content. You won't find as much showdown content anywhere else than you will at Awesome and you're certainly not going to get it for this price. Earlier in the season, we decided to beef up the Express Pass, add the ownership projections for uh, showdown, all of the projections for showdowns, uh, all of the, and remember, there's going to be showdown slates tonight for sure. Uh, some potentially big ones, I would imagine too. 
the top players tool, which is like the top stack tool, but it's, you know, based all on probabilities for these showdown slates, the lineup, the express lineup builder, express top stack tool for the main slate rankings. It's less than $4. If you like everything we have here, you like the information, you love the, the concept of ownership and projections and top stacks and amazing articles, amazing, fantastic premium articles uh, that these guys put so much time into uh, all of that you can get with the Awesome Plus Platinum. You can get the golf, the uh, the MMA, the UF or UFC. You get NASCAR, basketballs coming up, football, baseball. All of that stuff is in the Awesome Plus Platinum. You can do that for a week. You can do that for a month. You can cover it for the entire year and knock a big chunk of change off of what you're paying. Any budget, whatever you've got, we got you covered. Like I said, you want to pay less than four dollars a week, get all of the showdown content and main slate afternoon slate stuff. We got you. Awesome.com slash join. And if you have any questions, hit me up. You can DM me. My, my DMs are open at Lafayette underscore D on Twitter. I'm happy to help you guys out. All right, Matt. One down, one to go. Buffalo and San Francisco. The Buffalo Bills opened at two and a half point favorites. They're now one point dogs, Matt, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and I think we've seen this, this number bounce throughout the week. But um, San Francisco is starting to get healthy. Right? You got Debo, you got Ayuk, they're healthy. You've got Richard Sherman, who I think makes a pretty big impact in his return. Trent Williams, you, you have a lot of guys that are back in action now that are going to make this San Francisco team considerably better than it was. Yeah, it's it's been really hard to evaluate because there's guys like coming and going every single week. Emmanuel Mosley, one of their corners is questionable to play today. They're down K1 Williams, another corner they're going to play. Their offensive line's been banged up all year, and they just put Jaquiski Tart on injured reserve a few weeks ago. So it's like, you know, Richard Sherman returns, but then Mosley, Williams, Tart leave the lineup. Like, they're still don't, they still don't have Garoppolo. They still don't have Kittle, who's their number one pass catcher. They have they lost essentially their entire pass rush in Ansa, Bosa, Solomon Thomas, D. Ford. So it's been a really difficult team for me to evaluate. I'm very surprised to see Buffalo coming in as the dog here, and I'm even more surprised that the line moved against them. Okay. That's interesting to me because Buffalo, while they're a very good team, and I, are they getting Milano back today, like their top coverage linebacker? Because that makes a nice difference if he's there. I haven't seen uh, any one way or the other. I didn't see them activate him. I know he's been on injured. Okay. Reserve. Okay. Um, either way, yeah, I, I think Buffalo is the better team, but I anticipate this being a very close and competitive game. And one of the reasons for that is I think Shanahan – and the ground game for San Francisco can make some noise against the Buffalo team where that has been their biggest liability. And you've got Raheem Mostert back, easily their best running back this season and last season as well. But we'll start with the Bills, and we'll start with Stefan Diggs, getting, as you pointed out earlier in the show, almost 70% ownership on a two-game slate. Floor's yours, Matt. Yeah, you want to talk about, like, crazy target volume. Stefan Diggs is right there. He's not priced in the same tier as the Pittsburgh guys, but he has similar target volume and a 29% target share on the year. This game environment is a little bit better overall. It has a higher total. And even though Buffalo is not the favorite in the game, I still think you can predict Stefan Diggs is going to see a very healthy target share, at least nine targets in each of his last four games. All right. Well, have you built lineups yet? I have been playing around with it. Hand building, nothing in cruncher. Okay. And I think one of the reasons you're getting Stefan Diggs at this ownership is 7,500 for a two game slate is not that crazy. Um, John Brown is out and that's going to open things up. So who does that open things up for? Well, the first one on the list is got to be Gabe Davis, right? Gabe Davis in the three games <clears throat> that John Brown has missed this year, well, he only had four targets last week. He had 79 and a touchdown. Thank you, Gabriel Davis. I feel like I got pretty lucky on that one. Uh, Tennessee, <clears throat> excuse me, five for nine targets, 58 yards. Uh, and then I think in week seven, he only had three targets. I believe John Brown was out in that game too. But the point remains that I would assume Gabriel Davis continues to be the biggest beneficiary of John Brown's absence. And Cole Beasley could also be an interesting option, although I do think he could have a relatively – well, we'll get into that in a second. What are you doing with Gabe Davis? I love Gabe Davis. I think as far as cheap receivers go, he's the preferred one I'd like to play. He's just 100 cheaper than Ebron, 
but he is walking his way into a larger opportunity share. Cole Beasley's role should remain largely the same. He's basically their slot only receiver. Gabe Davis enters the John Brown role, which has a lot of upside as we've seen at various points this season. Okay. How about um, Cole Beasley here in the slot, actually averaging his best numbers of his career. Yeah, I have no problem getting to Beasley. Beasley's target share, even with John Brown on the field, is still pretty good. 18.5% target share. He's not even 5K, so you can play him as well. I think you're, you know, you're mixing and matching depending on your salary between guys like Beasley and Gabriel Davis, but I still think they're both values at their price. I'm comfortable playing either one. It's just kind of how your particular roster shakes out and who you have enough money for. Yeah, it's like, okay, so 49ers are without Kwan Williams. And I don't know if they're going to be able to, to, to compensate for that. It's possible, but it's also possible that you're going to get um, like what Emmanuel Mosley, who has been pretty much crushed in coverage for this team this year. He's questionable too. Okay. So I do, do you throw, I don't know. I I don't know. Jimmy Ward. Yeah. That's the, they don't have tart either. Like that's the thing with Richard Sherman returning. He can only cover one receiver. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. I'm not necessarily sure how it's going to work out, but the passing game for Buffalo, the biggest question I have for you outside of your individual preferences is, do you have confidence that Josh Allen will be able to move the ball freely through the air today? Josh Allen's been pretty good this year. So when I'm looking at quarterback efficiency, he meets all the basic metrics I would look for. So I'm comfortable playing him. And I don't see why this matchup stands out as any more difficult than any particular matchup this year. San Francisco is down all of their pass rushers. They're down most of their starting corners. So outside of just a step back in general inefficiency, I don't see any reason why Josh Allen shouldn't succeed. Okay. I think Josh Allen's ability to use his legs could also be interesting. One of the areas that San Francisco has struggled this year, Matt, and last year is rushing quarterbacks. Rushing quarterbacks have given them some trouble while they've been able to plug up holes and slow down the ground game for running backs. uh, Rushing quarterbacks have been able to have some success against them. Is this something that we like when we're looking at Josh Allen today? Because anytime a, a running back can take off and make some noise with his legs, especially on a small slate, we got to talk about it. Yeah. And he's the only one that has this upside. It's kind of accounted for in price. He is a little bit more expensive than each of the other signal callers, but I still think you're accessing a ceiling with Josh Allen, not only through the air, but we've seen him very active in a goal line sense earlier this year. I mean, he is a lot of rushing touchdowns throughout his career. I believe eight and nine in his first two seasons. And I'm not quite sure off the top of my head what he's at this year, but we know it's in his range of outcomes. He's a big runner. And just the scrambling ability, too. He's not someone that's always going to just throw the ball away. He'll try to tuck it and run. And any extra yardage you can get is going to be a big difference on a two-game slate. All right. So favorite options in the passing game, if you wanted to throw a tight end to the mix, go for it. Uh, But before we move to the run game, which I don't imagine we're going to have a ton to talk about, who are your top options in the passing game? Uh, Of course, adjusting for price and for ownership. Yeah, it would be obviously digs. I'm okay eating the ownership. I also think you can fade him in your larger field tournaments because you know Cole Beasley and Gabe Davis are essentially full-time players in the offense. Of course, they're not quite as likely to get there, but still, I mean, Gabe Davis, 19.5% ownership. He'd be the second guy I look to here because I don't really see a large, at least price difference and opportunity difference. And you're looking at Beasley, 44.5% owned, Gabe Davis, 19.5% owned. I'll just take the leverage in that spot. How, how do you see those two? Uh, which one, Beasley and, and Gabe Davis? Yeah. Well, one, their prices are a little bit closer than I thought they would be. So that's, that's for starters. Two, the ownership is pretty significant in, when we come to, when you look at the differences. Beasley, 44.5% projected ownership. Gabe Davis at 19.5%. So similar price points, but Cole Beasley, uh, here's the thing, Matt. The ownership is suggesting that Cole Beasley uh, is probably a little bit cheaper than he should be, and that Gabe Davis is probably right where he should be, just based on the ownership. Um, That said, I probably still am willing to look at 19% Gabe Davis. I I like both of them here because of the ownership disparity and Cole Beasley being too cheap. So one of, one of them has 
each of them has something working for him. Gabe Davis, um, no, no real significant ownership. And Cole Beasley, the price point below 5K. So I, I don't really go strongly towards either of them. I just think at their pr- respective price points and ownership, both of them have plenty of utility today. Not to, not to cop out on the answer. I just can't imagine I'm not going to have quite a bit of both of them. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're targeting, if not the best offense, the second best offense. I think it's tight with Pittsburgh on the slate. So having both of them makes a ton of sense to me. Do you see any stacking opportunities where you would go Josh Allen and then two pass catchers for Buffalo? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's only two teams I'm really interested in doing this outside of large field tournaments, and it's Buffalo and Pittsburgh. Outside of that, I mean, you do you really want to stack Nick Mullins twice? Do you really want to stack Alex Smith twice? Do you even have to, given their prices? I think those are reasonable questions. And just given what we've seen out of Josh Allen and Big Ben, they're the only two guys I think I'm willing to double stack. All right. Anything in the uh, run game for you here? Zach Moss, Devin Singletary. What a mess this has been trying to decipher which one of these guys is going to get to work. And I must say, Matt, it disappoints me because I love Devin Singletary. uh, And I think if provided the opportunity, we would start to see a pretty talented football player. But Zach Moss swoops in, uh, gets drafted this past draft and you know, he's been getting worked in quite a bit and more goal line work. So Singletary on the goal line has really been limited when you have Allen and Zach Moss who can snipe those opportunities. Yeah, it's it, it sucks because I do like Singletary too. He's sort of playing a low upside, low calorie role between the 20s and then that goal line role is not there for him. And it's not like he's the preferred pass catching back either. They literally are splitting this work 50-50. Moss does have some targets as well on the season and their touches have fluctuated back and forth between the various games. I honestly think it's a 50, 50 timeshare, which maybe depresses their ownership. And if they, one of them falls in the end zone twice, you could see a GPP winning score, but not only do you have to project the right game script, you have to project which one of them gets the ball, which is very difficult. All right. So the other side, as we wrap this one up with the San Francisco 49ers, Raheem Mostert back in action. It's nice to see that, you know, when healthy this season, got to say he has played really well, Matt. And against the Jets, I remember I had a ton of him and he broke off that 80 yard touchdown. I felt great. And then he got hurt, but he's had double digit fantasy points in all but one game. And in the game that he didn't have them in week six, it was 9.6. I mentioned that not because he's been wildly impressive, right? 25 fantasy points, 19 got hurt. That would have been way higher than that. 15, uh, 9.6, 11, three at 5,800. I think Raheem Mostert is uh, a really spectacular play, but so does 48% of the field. Yeah, he's a, he's a good play. There are some concerns, like Tevin Coleman's going to return. The snap counts weren't heavily in his favor, 29 snaps to Jeff Wilson's 25 to Jarek McKinnon's 18, and now we're adding in a fourth back. I still think Raheem Mostert pretty clearly is going to lead the backfield in touches. You know, snap counts, not always everything. They clearly showed a touch preference for Raheem Mostert. But I do think there's more concerns with Mostert than a guy like Benny Snell. I think it's the same sort of question you're asking with Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. So at 5,800, I'm probably going to play some of him, but I'm not 100% sure he'll be in my cash lineup. Just a, a little bit more concerning for Raheem Mostert. Okay. Yeah, I think I have a slightly – the reason I have a slightly different opinion is because I do think that a healthy Raheem Mostert uh, is the clear number one option on this team. And I would, I would hope that Shanahan identifies that or acknowledges that. And if he does, uh, I, I think he's going to be okay. I don't need 25 carries from him, but uh, give me enough. Give me 15 carries today in what I expect to be a very competitive game and presumably the goal line work, which I think he'll get, and a couple, you know, a handful of, a handful of targets, maybe two, three, four, five, uh, I'm on board. Do you have any interest? Well, not do you have any interest. What is your interest, if I can gauge it, in the passing game for San Francisco? I'm at least a little more interested than recent weeks. I think this is a potential leverage spot. The wide receiver core has dealt with injuries. They've dealt with COVID outbreaks. Nick Mullins has been serviceable at times in the past. San Francisco is passing the ball more this year. I think it's more a product of game script than what they personally prefer to do. But because of that, you're now looking at Mullins with two decent stacking options. I mean, Debo Samuel, he had 13 targets in their most recent game. Ayuk had 14 in his most recent game. Both of them have target shares north of 20%. 
I imagine it'll stay relatively close to that because George Kittle's out of the picture. So you're dealing with two fairly affordable wide receivers coming in with slightly depressed ownership here. Maybe that's just a boon to the offense overall. So do you assume that we're going to see some, some trickery or some gadgetry here against Buffalo as Shanahan likely does using his wide receivers as an extension of the run game when you've got guys like Ayuk and you've got guys like Samuel that are very proficient in that type of football? Yeah, a hundred percent. And it, this seems to be a player he tries to draft every year. Debo is a guy that handled carries in college. Same with Ayuk. They both were used a lot in screens, both very active on special teams. Ayuk was a phenomenal kick returner. So they're guys, they just want to get the ball in their hands. And a lot of their receptions are coming on those like little touch passes, screens, getting playmakers in space is a big part of the offense. So I do foresee that tonight. Any interest in the tight end position here with George Kittle remaining on the IR and of course, looking at guys, unfortunately looking at guys like you know uh, Jordan Reed played 43% of snaps last game Ross Dwelly played 61 uh what do you say here yeah if you're not playing Ebron I'd say play whoever you want at tight end even though Reed was on the field a little bit less than Dwelly he still out targeted him six to two he has six targets in back-to-back games I think that's fine if you want to take a dart on Jordan Reed and you're just fading Ebron I don't think it's the best strategy but I mean outside of Ebron who do you feel comfortable with on the slate yeah, it's a great point. Uh, but then again, man, if Ebron ends up not having a game that we anticipate, the, he's so cheap, though, given what we've we've seen from him lately. And and one of these guys does have a game that could, you know, if, if one of these tight ends goes for like 18 or 16 and Ebron goes for five, those those points could be could be difficult to make up. But the problem is, Matt, How do we look at anyone other than Ebron and say, oh, yeah, he could go for 18? Yeah, that's the thing. And we see this on the main slate every single week. We saw it yesterday, for that matter. If Darren Waller busts, you probably just want to punt at tight end. However, if Darren Waller hits his ceiling, he is the only tight end with that ceiling on the entire slate, and you are dead in tournaments. I see Ebron not as a Darren Waller-type player, but in the context of a two-game slate, I do not think another tight end has his ceiling on the slate. All right. Four up, four down, or two games up, two games down, Matt. Any defense interest, defensive interest here? I know the the right answer, and the only answer really, is you play which defense fits. But because it's a two-game slate, do you see the Bills or 49ers having some uh, defensive intrigue? Because honestly, I could tell you that both of them are fine to me, but I'll go with the cheaper one in the 49ers, and I feel perfectly happy doing so. Yeah, I'm fine with the 49ers too. I, I think among the cheap defenses, I actually have the most interest in Washington just because they rush the pass. So the 49ers, I think they could struggle with this a little bit because of the lack of pass rushers they have on their team. But ultimately, outside of the Steelers, I don't think you're making a lot of sacrifices getting to the Bills, getting from the 49ers up there is only 400 difference in salary. And I mean, it looks like the Steelers, even though they're super, super expensive, are going to be owned by nearly half the field. Guys, hit that thumbs up if you haven't done so yet and subscribe to the channel. If you like what we do here, you think we helped you along the way. Matt, let's give our uh, our top leverage plays for this slate. Uh, but we're doing a giveaway, so I wanted to make sure that everyone knew about this. The pin tweet at awesomeo underscore com on Twitter, that's our main uh, handle, is giving away an uh, entire year of Awesomeo Plus NFL. So all of the NFL content for an entire year All you have to do is follow the directions on the graphic. Predict whether Josh Allen or Nick Mullins throws for more yards today. That should be the easy part. One random winner is going to get selected among the correct guesses. There's no reason not to throw your hat into the ring if you're not a premium sub yet or you'd like to check out what we have and give yourself an opportunity to get an entire year of NFL content. And you know what? Look, if you wanted to wait till next year, you could do that too. If you won and said, all right, I'm going to wait until next year to get the entire season, you can go ahead and do that as well. So check it out, the pin tweet, uh, and free content at the site today. NFL showdown projections are entirely free at uh, awesome. Maybe maybe both of these games. Maybe we have showdown projections because whoever made this assumed that there was only one game. But I would I would assume that all of the projections for today's slate must be free. Uh, check it out. All right, Matt. Any leverage plays that you think stand out to you at low ownership right now that could make a ton of sense? And for the record, low ownership on a two-game slate is not the same as low ownership on an 11-game slate. I'm surprised by Benny Snell's ownership. I'm surprised he's not the most owned back on the slate. 
I think he pretty clearly has a good path to volume and he's playing as the heaviest favorite on the day. I know the matchup isn't fantastic against the Washington defense. We've done this many, many times with James Conner, but we're getting Snell at a depressed price. He's priced as the backup. He very clearly outcarried Anthony McFarland and actually just outtouched him, outsnapped him, everything in the previous game where we didn't have James Conner. And then another one at wide receiver is just Gabriel Davis. I think he's seeing yeah. a similar opportunity share to Cole Beasley coming in at a fraction of the ownership. Yeah, Gabe Davis for me as well. But uh, I'll throw a guy that we talked about at the beginning of the show, and I think you'll agree, J.D. McKissick. Uh, if this if this game happens to to turn in the direction that gets away from them, you could see an abundance of opportunity for McKissick. And maybe in a neutral game script or positive game script, you see some, but Gibson's clearly going to be the guy there. But if Pittsburgh, the clear better team overall, shows up early and puts two scores on their head and makes it a 14 nothing game in the first quarter or even in the first half, you might see a lot more J.D. McKissick than you initially anticipated. And if that's the case, coming in at 18% ownership right now at $4,500, that's $500 above the minimum salary for running backs. Uh, and 18% ownership is pretty damn low given the context of the slate. I'm uh, very much willing to get there. So, Matt, it's been a good show, man. Final thoughts to wrap up this two-gamer. I love it, man. I think we hit on all the leverage points. I think what team you're going to stack is going to be key to this game. Is there a contrarian stack you're interested in? Like, can San Francisco put up a lot of points? The Vegas line certainly seems to think so. And I'm not sure outside of Raheem Mostert that the ownership is really reflecting that. That's the only other real key I think we haven't touched on already. All right. I'll close with this. Mark Smith says, lately, whenever Doug Peterson does something stupid, I find myself going to check Laffy's Twitter for a laugh. As a Bears fan, I can feel the pain. Listen, follow me for whatever reason you want, information, or you just want to laugh at my pain. I'm more than happy with that. Hit me up uh, at Laffy underscore D, L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D. Matt Kajeski at Matt underscore Kajeski and Awesomeo at Awesomeo underscore com. Also want to thank Jordan Klein, Guy does a great job producing. He's quarantined out in the middle of nowhere right now in a hotel that has virtually no lighting. I wouldn't be surprised if there is in somewhere in this building, unforeseen uh, or un unbeknownst to me, someone holding a gun to his head, forcing him to produce this show. He looks like he's in a dungeon, but he does a great job as always. Cue that music, man. We'll see you guys back here soon. Stick around in just a couple minutes. We've got the Monday morning quarterback show recapping everything from week 13. Adam Scher, Josh Ingleman, myself, Dave Lochran. Good luck today, guys.